Welcome to this week's podcast from Bethesda Church of God in Sumter, South Carolina. We hope you enjoy this inspiring message. For more information, check out our website at BethesdaCOG.org. Not that. No, that was just, that came out of me right there. That's not the message. Woo, it's not the message. Three dangers in your off-season. Because the book of Ecclesiastes, let's begin there. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 through 8 says this. And I'm just going to go ahead and read this. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up, which is planted. That means harvest. A time to kill, a time to heal. And that time kill don't mean go kill somebody. That just means there's going to be war seasons. And there's going to be seasons where there's going to be peace. A time to heal, to break down, build up, time to weep, time to laugh, time to mourn, time to dance, time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. Casting away stones is when they would clear a field. Gathering stones together is when they would build walls. So all of this is in the culture of that day. Um, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. How many of you know going to church and sitting in the pew is not the time to make out with your wife? Come on, talk to me, somebody. That's not the time. There's a time for that. I just wanted to throw that in there. I thought that was an interesting thought. A, t- <laughs> a time to rend, time to sow, time to keep silent, time to speak, time to love, time to hate. And here again, he repeats it, time of war and a time of peace. We will conclude the scripture reading with the idea of there is a time and a season for everything. And I will introduce my message by saying this, there are what I call on seasons and off seasons. And when most people are in their on season, they will not give up, they will not quit, they will pursue, they will have faith. But when they hit a downturn, a real blow downturn, it's when people stop going to church. It's when they quit giving, when they've lost their job. That's the downturn. It's when they quit praying, when they're having a crisis and they just give up. So I want to tell you a thought from an old message I used to preach. You have got to remove the quit option. My wife and I were married a long time ago. We're going on 38 years. And she's from a divorced family. Uh, She actually grew up as a young teenage girl without her mama and dad. A church family took her in. And Pam does not like divorce. She knows what it does. She knows the hurt it brings. We made up our mind a long time ago that divorce is never an option. We've only had, now this is pretty good for 38 years. We've only had four bad fights in our, in, our, in our marriage. Come on, you better help me say thank God for four. I will tell you two of them were bad. <laughs> and what's funny, it was not about me and her. It was about how we handled the, a boy that was addicted. It was about staff people. It was about something. It was like, our arguments are always about other people. Talk to me, somebody, or how you're handling other people or how you're paying other people. You know, when everybody wants a raise, ain't nobody come to me. They run to Pam. That's everywhere they go. They know where to run to. Now, having said that, let me just talk to you that life, though, uh, comes in cycles. And I am going to tell you that God is so unique because the moon goes 
moves through four cycles. You don't see it, quarter moon, half moon, three quarters moon, full moon, four cycles. What is interesting is God established four seasons of the year. He established spring and then summer and then fall and winter. Now here's what's really crazy. That is life itself falls into the four cycles of the seasons of a year. And I'm gonna break this down for you as I see it. Spring is the age of 10 to age 30. This is called the planting stage. Summer hits you at 30 to age 50. That's called the pruning stage. And if you're writing this down, I'm gonna talk faster than you can write. I will tell you, I'll talk faster than you can write. The fall months is age 50 to 70. That's the processing stage. And finally, winter hits you, and this is rough for different, different for different people, but 70 to 90, which is the preparing stage. Now, spring are the seeds, summer are the weeds, fall are the deeds, and winter is the needs. Winter is when you get into depends. You, 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 now give me, you depend on people more. You, you depend on help. You depend on somebody driving you around. See, y'all just got it all messed up. You thought I was talking about something else. You just got it all messed up and I'm trying to help you right here. But let me explain to you. In the springtime is seed planting. And then when you get to summer, you've got to get the weeds out of the garden. This, you know, from the time of 30 to 50, that's when you're, you're having to settle issues and deal with rebellious kids and pull the weeds out of their life and pull the weeds that are coming in your life. And then you come to the third phase, which is, now look, fall, by the way, and this is 50 to 70, so I'm in my fall time, I guess you could say. But that's the deeds. That's when you're processing. That's when you're, you're planning and you're, you're continuing and you're moving forward. And, and I like, does anybody, is anybody, just talk, just wait, just help me here. Does anybody like the fall months, especially in the mountains? I live in the mountains, man. And I'm telling you, when we've had good rain and those leaves change, Fall is my most romantic time. Now, I do not want to kill this. Oh, God, I don't want to kill this service. And I probably, being in South Carolina, should not say what I'm about to say. But I'm very close friends. I'm talking about texting friends with a boy named Tua Tungavaloa. Only you football fans will understand who Tua and his brother and family, and just, I just heard from his dad today, so we're like real close, and we've, we've hung out together, and he signed footballs for me and all kinds of stuff. Now, if you don't know who he is, he's the quarterback for the University of Alabama. And I know, am I, am I in Clemson territory? I, no, am I? No, no? Oh, I'm good. I'm good then. I'm, okay, y'all got competition. You're South Carolina. Ah, see. So I'm, I'm on good ground then, okay? I'm on good ground. Now, I was going to tell you something, and you all just threw me completely off with that right there. So I, I, I'm getting ready to tell you something that was really interesting and funny, but, I, but, I, but, I, but I'll leave it alone. I better stay in the Holy Ghost. Somebody say stay. The, my, my, my preacher friend Floyd Lahan would yell about right now, and he'd say, stay in the Word. So I was going to tell you something very funny, but I'll leave that alone since we're divided on, on the team thing. Come on. Can I, can, I, can I preach on? Go ahead and say preach on. Say, say preach on. Okay. 
my, 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 my point is then you get to the latter part of your life and you get into the need time. So let me just say this, that everybody here, should we, and we hope we do, we hope we live to see the rapture or we hope we live long life where God satisfies and show us his salvation. So if we do, we're going to go through all four of these particular phases of our life. Now, there are three dangers that you will encounter in these four phases. You're not going to encounter it so much when you're 10 to 30 unless you're struggling with addictions and alcohol and it's kind of an up and down problem that you're dealing with. But as you get into the last three phases of it, oh, I know what I was going to tell you about the fall months. I think I'll be safe. Fall, fall is college football, my favorite time of the year. I, don't, I, I know NFL players. I know one of the biggest owners of the NFL team who's a Super Bowl, been to the Super Bowl, won Super Bowls. I got invited to three Super Bowls. I went to three Super Bowls because his wife gave me tickets. So I love the fall months. But I got to tell you something funny. <laughs> Uh, three of us kids, there's four of us, three of us were born in June. Now I want you to go back nine months. It's October. I, I, I asked my mom and dad one day, what was, what was there about October y'all like? Now, now it, it, that's real deep for some of you. I, uh, you know, we, we're not going to go into a sex education class. Maybe you need to go to one to figure out what I'm trying to tell you about the month of October. But we, we'll leave that alone. We're, we're, we'll stay in the spirit here. So anyway, that's what I wanted to tell you. I have to get that off my head. Okay. There are th First Thessalonians 5, 23. We're going to get back in the word right here. The Bible says that you are a tripart being. You're a body, a soul, and a spirit. Now, if you're a body and soul and a spirit, it stands to reason to me that if the enemy or Satan attacks you, he's not just going to attack you in one realm. That if you get attacked in your body, it's usually a physical sickness. If you get attacked in your soul, that's connected to the intellect, the mind, and the will. That's, that's connected more to your emotions. So if the enemy's going to attack your mind, he's going to attack you in an emotional area. But if he attacks your spirit, he's going to attack you in the realm of faith. Because faith has to originate not just in the heart, but it has to come out of the spirit. Spirit. Real faith is deep inside the spirit. So you're a body and you're a soul and a spirit. Now, in this process, I want to talk to you for just a moment that there is a conflict about giving up that is connected to the body and the soul and the spirit. And I'm going to give those to you right now. First of all, the three dangers that you're going to encounter in your life. And, and I knew, I had a whole other message. And I knew this was for somebody who would be here this morning who really has been discouraged, who needs to hear this. The first danger is weariness. The second danger is falling into unbelief and the third danger is just giving up and quitting now let me explain for just a moment each one of these and how they apply Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 one of my favorite verses says be not weary in well-doing for in due season you will reap if you faint not how does weariness affect you it affects the physical body how many times have you heard people say I feel burnt out I am wore out I can't even function I'm so tired I'm taking vitamins I'm exercising but I am completely wore out all right weariness affects the body weariness often comes bear with me by making a bad decision David made a bad decision one time and took the sword of Goliath to Goliath's hometown where everybody recognized the sword got arrested and could have been killed and had to act like he was insane and clawed on a column and drooled drool coming out of his mouth and the king said get him out of here I knew he had to lose his mind by coming here with Goliath's sword and he had to fake and say who knows what I'm talking about 
about. He had to fake insanity to escape. And then he goes and lives at Ziglag, which is a Philistine town on the border of Judah, loses everything he's got. He made an unwise decision, and he says, I'm weak this day, though anointed king. So weariness can come to the physical body because of not taking care of yourself, because of lack of sleep or other issues. Hebrews chapter 3 and 12 warns us to not fall into unbelief the way that ancient Israel fell unto unbelief. Now, how, what does unbelief affect? It doesn't affect the body as much as it affects the mind. And the Bible says it this way, a double-minded man, and that's a woman also, is unstable in all of their ways. What is double-minded? Double-minded would be, Lord, I believe you. Thank you. You're going to do it. Next day, I just don't know why God ain't doing it. The next day, well, God, I feel better today. Thank you, Lord. You're going to help me. The next day, well, Lord, he's just not helping me. I've been probably praying four days and nothing's happened. So that's double-minded. Now, in Greek, it me it reads double-spirited or double-souled. And you know, you got, <laughs> help me now, you got two parts to your brain. You all know your brain looks like a walnut. Don't you know that? So when you're eating walnuts, it's like eating a, a little brain. Uh, don't get that imagery. That was when I was a kid. I thought that. So it just came out of me. I'm, going, I'm reverting back here. But, but you have a left hemisphere and you have a right hemisphere. Now, I have an autism, and, and my staff will tell you this. I don't know why I'm telling you this. But in, my, in this autism that I have, it's very strange because I can have five things going on at one time and compartmentalize every one of them. You can put 20 kids in the room and I can write a book because I hear nothing they're saying. I can shut them off. I, I can have the news on. I have a DVD going. Am I, am I telling the truth, Rob and Tammy? I have a CD going. I, I go to board meetings with two laptops and I write two books at one time while they're having a board meeting. My wife says, Perry, pay attention. And I will repeat back to her the last five minutes of the board meeting. So the board finally says, let the guy write book. Let, let him write books, Pam. We need income. <laughs> Now, but I understand something. Now, watch this. They tell me that I do not work off of one hemisphere, that I switch back and forth to hemispheres. Most people are left hemisphere. Am I right? Is there any nurses, doctors here, psychologists? How many know there's left and right hemisphere? Most people are left or right, or they call it left brain, right brain. But I can switch back and forth. See, I can, I can switch back and forth. I can switch back and forth. How did, no, no, I'm just, <laughs> look, it's, I'm just feeling goofy today. Bear with me. I'm just feeling goofy today, all right? No, but I can work off of both hemispheres, and that's why I I can do six things. Am I right? I can do six things at once, and people, it drives them crazy. My former secretary said, please cut four of these things off. I need to talk to you. I said, I can hear everything you're saying. So, double-minded. Why am I saying that? Because if you have a left hemisphere and a right hemisphere, there's two hemispheres of the brain, but I want you to notice what God says. God says, I will keep you in perfect peace. Now, now wait a minute. Oh, you got to look at that word perfect, because that was added into the translation to try to describe what Isaiah was saying. Do you know how it reads in Hebrew? I will keep you in shalom, shalom. Now, it doesn't make sense to translate, I will keep you in peace, peace, because you would think that grammatically that there should only be one word for peace. You never say, boy, I feel peace, peace today. You say, what? I feel peace today. But in Hebrew, what it, I, I thought about that one day. I said, why did you say peace, peace? And the Lord said, because I'm going to keep your left hemisphere and I'm going to keep your right hemisphere. Ha, <laughs> ha. Oh, yes. So you do have 
two hemispheres and God wants to keep you in peace but unbelief what happens is it affects the mind to cause you to be double-minded and a double-minded person do not forget this the Bible says it can't receive anything from God now then second Peter chapter 2 15 uh, 2, 12 through 15 there is a danger of getting up or there is a danger of quitting and the give up the give up starts in your spirit because your spirit can be grieved your spirit can be oppressed your spirit can be vexed your spirit can become depressed and so when it gets to that level your strength is in the inner man your strength is in your spirit the Holy Spirit works through your spirit so when your spirit becomes very weak then suddenly you will have a tendency to give up now what I want to do just for the next few moments is take you on a journey to each one of these because this is going to help somebody weary this is point one weariness is formed by either mental attacks or people's actions that begin to wear you down Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3 says this consider him this is Jesus that that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest you be wearied and faint in your minds now I thought about this you all know this small grains of sand can cut into granite rock and form a tombstone you have to do it a certain way but it can be done small grains drops of water continually hitting asphalt will put a hole in asphalt small embers from a piece of wood can cause a fire the way it did in Pigeon, For um, uh, Pigeon Forge in, in Gatlinburg Tennessee and burnt hundreds and thousands of acres just some small 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 embers and even James said the tongue is so small but it can set on fire the course of nature so these little things continually eating at you are what build up in you to cause you to become weak and weary now David said as and I quoted this a moment ago in 2nd Samuel 3:29, I am weak this day though anointed king I want to tell you something you need to hear the anointing is powerful but the anointing does not exempt you from weakness the can I tell you something else you need to hear this the anointing does not prevent temptation if that was true Jesus was tempted you explain to me how he just got anointed at the Jordan I'm preaching this now how did he get anointed at the Jordan River and go up and be tempted of the devil if anointing yielded you or prevented you from temptation Jesus must have missed it somewhere because he just got anointed by the Holy Spirit and then for 40 days ends up being tested of the devil now the anointing can give you power over the enemy it can give you strength over temptation it can give you strength over weariness but it doesn't necessarily shield you from it I'm in the word Psalms 2 verse 8 have mercy for I am weak my bones ache he must have had old old author must have showed up his bones were aching. You'll get that in a minute. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Men should always pray and not to faint. Now, the Bible says in Daniel chapter 7, 25, and this is a really a verse that deals with the Antichrist in the future. And the word saints there is the a, uh, Aramaic word, and it means holy or righteous ones. And in the setting, in literal uh, setting, it means the nation of Israel and the Jewish people that the Antichrist will attack. But listen to the spiritual principle. It says, he 
shall wear out the saints of the Most High God. Now, what the attack of the enemy is now, and I'm seeing it real heavy, is wearing people down. And here's the reason that the enemy wants to, am I talking to anybody in the house right here? The reason the enemy wants to try to wear you down mentally, now you hear me, is because when you get wore down mentally, you make bad decisions. When you get wore down mentally, you get to the point you don't care. When you wear down, you know, listen, I have known people that quit their ministry jobs because they were wore out, and I've had people do that and then come back to me months later and say, will you hire me back? Because they made a decision based on their emotion and their physical weakness at the time. I have told pastors, now your pastor has the wisdom, and he would know this because he's been pastoring for a while, but I tell pastors all the time, especially in the church of God, I say to them, never make, they'll call me and say, Perry, I'm thinking about making a move. I'm thinking about switching churches. And I said, why? Is everything going great? Well, no, no, that's the problem. Things aren't going well. Now, I said to them, if everything was going fantastic, would you leave? And they say, of course not. I said, so you're telling me you're about to make a major decision in your life based on negative circumstances, but not based on the Holy Spirit telling you. And I have had many of my friends who left one church and went to another, and my daddy was one of them, and went to another one and found out they just jumped out of the frying pan into the fire. And he'd call me and say, oh God, my dad always said I should have never left Salem, Virginia. I had 150 people that loved me. And he had one disgruntled ex-preacher that just stayed on his case and he let the ex-preacher drive him crazy. I said, why don't you quit letting him drive you crazy and pray for God to kill him? I mean, he's lived a good life. He's very disgruntled. He's very mean. Just say to God, pull an Ananias and Sapphira. God, take him out. Because you're going to, oh, I'm going to preach this to somebody. Now, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not telling you to do like David. You know, David got mad and said, kill them all, God. Get rid of them. Let them be fatherless. Let, their, let, let them have orphans. I am not going to do that because that's not the New Testament way of dealing with your problems. Are you listening? I'm just telling you I got in the flesh a little bit and told my dad that. But my dad went to another place and really missed God for years and ended up going to evangelize. You know why? Because he allowed a weariness of a moment to hit him. Now, the Bible said we should pray and faint not. Let me give you the Greek word for faint. It means, this is interesting, the etymology of the word in classical Greek means to unloose a bowstring. The Greek word, not the English word faint. English word faint means to become tired and weary. But the Greek word means to unloose a bowstring. Now, what happens if you take a bow? Any hunters here? Anybody, any, any bow hunters? Okay, what happens if you take a bow, though, and undo the string? What happens to the whole thing? It's useless. Do you know, what, do you know why a bow is effective? Because it creates resistance and you put an arrow in a bow and you pull it back and the resistance that the string is caused with the way the bow is made causes the arrow to shoot a distance. Fainting is when you lose the ability to resist. Because once you're in the fainting area, I mean, it's just like, I don't care anymore. I just need to get out of the situation. I just wish God would do this. Why? Because you've lost the resistance. You've lost the ability to do what Ephesians said, having done all to stand, stand therefore. 
you keep standing. So there is a danger in this area of weariness affecting the mind, causing you to make a decision to leave a church when you're not supposed to. Getting mad at the pastor instead of just repenting and going on. Hello. Getting mad at the choir director because she didn't let you sing. I'm going to tell you something. I have, a, I have a Tuesday night service, which is a church, and I'm not going to put you on the platform with the attitude. Because I'm going to tell you what will happen. When you get up there with the attitude, it's going to express to the choir and the people out there. And can I tell you this? You're not the next American Idol. I'm going to get off that. Number two. <laughs> Doubting, doubting, because the second thing I warned you about was the danger of falling into unbelief. Now, here's what the Bible said in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast, and that word in the Greek language means to grab something and seize it and hold on to it. The, the way I would describe it is being in a situation where there's a storm and it's blowing everything apart, and there's one pole that's not gonna move. And you go and wrap your arms around that pole and you hold on for dear life knowing that the pole is made of metal connected to the floor and connected to a beam. And if that whole building goes down, you ain't going down because you have seized something that has a foundation. Now that's, that's how I want to describe hold fast the confession. And sometimes in the uh, translations, it'll say the profession of your faith, but it's confession nothing wavering for God mm, who promised is faithful. Now, in line with this, I want to take you to ancient Israel and I want to show you verses that you might not be familiar with and you may have been in Sunday school and church all your life and they've never taught this because I was never taught this growing up. I just was taught God told Israel to go into the promised land and they got out there and sent spies, and the spies came back with unbelief, so God let them wander for 40 years. How many know that story? Raise your hand if you know that story. Do you know what God told them before they got in the wilderness? Do you know what Moses told them? But watch this now. God already had everything set up for them, and here's what God says. This is in your Bible. I'll give you the verse. Exodus chapter, now wait a minute. There were three problems they had. Number one, there were wild animals. Back in that day, there were lions, leopards, bears, and wild animals all over the promised land. So there was this danger of how do I deal with wild animals? Number two, there were tribes of the Amalekites and the Amorites, Moabites, and they were war tribes experienced in war. So the question was, how do we deal with warring tribes? We have been slaves. We don't know how to fight. The third problem was Philistines. And Philistines, according to your Bible, had iron weapons, and the Israelis did not. But I want to show you, first of all, before I show you what God said to them, I'm going to show you how God provided for them. They left Egypt without weapons. And yet, several chapters later in your Bible, they are fighting Amalek with swords. Now, I want to ask you a question. Where did those men of war get the swords that they are fighting Amalek with when they left with absolutely no weapons. Who wants the answer? Raise your hand. Well, three of you want the answer. We'll just move on. <laughs> Who wants to know where, you're going you're to find this fascinating. Who wants to know where Israel got their swords? A Jewish historian named Josephus will tell you 
God drowned Pharaoh's army of thousands and tens of thousands of soldiers that were coming after those 600,000 men. And Josephus said, well, the next morning, the weapons of the Egyptians washed up on the shore where the Israelis were. And the soldiers, the young men went and picked up all of the swords of the Egyptian army that had drowned, including shields. And you say, well, I, don't, I thought metal sunk, metal does sink. But we can make a ship out of metal that floats. And God can make an axe head float by a prophet. Why can't he bring the weapons of the enemy up? So that's where they got their swords from. Now, so now they're armed. But God says this, when you get to the promised land, here's what's going to happen, Exodus 23, 28. I am going to send hornets over time to sting the animals to run them out of the promised land. But I won't do it instantly, I'll do it over time. Now writers tell us, and this is all historical Jewish writings, that there were hornets so big that they could sting a horse and bring a horse down to its knees. And God says, don't worry about the animals. You're not going to have to kill them or fight them. I will send my hornets <laughs> and sting the animals. Then he says in Deuteronomy 2.22, now if you want to know how you're going to take the tribes over, I will put fear in their heart of you. And you won't even have to, they will literally be willing to give up everything and get out. Now if you don't believe that, my God help me Jesus. When they wandered for 40 years and ended up back at Jericho, a harlot by the name of Rahab, can I paraphrase what she said in the book of Joshua? She says, where y'all been for 40 years? She said, we heard how your God dried up the Red Sea. Mm. We heard how you killed two of the biggest giants that everybody was afraid of, Sihon and Og. And when we heard it, there was no strength that remained in any of the men of our city. And God already had them set up, put the fear in the hearts of their enemies that they would not even have to fight. They would see them and say, y'all take over, we're leaving, we're leaving. And if you don't believe God, you, you, you watch what God does. 40 years later, an 85-year-old man by the name of Caleb goes back to Hebron and there are sons of Anak that are giants, Nephilim. They average nine and a half to 12 foot tall. And here's a little Jewish man, if he was tall, six foot is a as tall as you got most of them are five seven to five ten so let's assume a six foot man looks at three giant he's 80 you hear me now he's 85 he's not a young David that's 17 with a slingshot and the Bible says he looked at the Giants he said God gave me this mountain 40 years ago and I might be an old man but I'm getting ready to run you out so you got a choice you either get out now or I'm coming after you and the Bible said they ran from him because God put fear in their heart. Can I tell somebody here, Joshua was 80, Caleb was 85, and you're not done just because you're in your 80s. Do you have faith to still believe? <laughs> Exodus 13, 17, he tells them, here's what's going to happen to the Philistines. He said, they've got weapons, but what I'm going to do is instead of taking you through El, and I know the area, through El Arish and the beautiful coastal lines of the promised land where you can fish and lay on the beach. I'm taking you around the Philistines in the wilderness because if you see war, you'll be discouraged and want to go back. 
Can I say this to you? God had it all figured out. And they didn't think he knew what he was doing. Can I just say this? Had I seen God open up the Red Sea, drown Pharaoh's army, and bring the weapons, I'd have told those ten spies, y'all can get out of the way. I don't care what you think you saw in the promised land. And two men, Joshua and Caleb, did that because the Bible says they had another spirit. Because they had faith in their spirit when ten did not. Now, if you don't believe, oh, help me, Lord, now to get this across. If you don't believe unbelief in a church, just a few, can stir things up. A little leaven purges the whole lump. Now, here's what happens. Listen to me carefully. So, they get in this journey, and they open their mouths. Numbers 14.22 talks about how they opened their mouth and complained. I counted 10 times when the Israelites complained to God. Well, we don't have water. We're going to have some water. We don't have food. I don't like the manna. Malachi chapter 2.17 finally says about them, God tells Israel, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Now, your confession is what you say about what you believe. People ask you, are you a Christian? Yes. You just confessed because you believe. I, I got to tell you this because this is on my heart. But I had a, a, a friend of mine. He, he happens to be married to uh, my wife's niece. They were at the house and they attended church. By the way, it's a good place. They got good music. They got a great preacher. But when they go to give an altar call for sinners, I said, how do you give an altar call? He said, well, they don't. They don't call anybody up. They don't call anybody forward. They say this. We don't want to embarrass you. So everybody close your eyes, and if you'd like to receive Christ, raise your hand, because we're not going to send anybody to you or bring you to the front, because we don't want to, now look, now no, stop, stop. The kind of person that's so embarrassed to sit in a church and say they want to accept Jesus will never ever confess him in public. They'll never, they won't do it. If they're, if they're afraid of church people finding out that they've accepted Christ. And I just told my friend that was in the car with me, I said, let me tell you what Jesus said. If you, oh, if you deny me in front of men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. But if you acknowledge me before men, does anybody here confess with your mouth that you believe the Lord Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and he's the Savior and the Lord of your life? Put your hands up and say hallelujah. Glory to his name. Woo. So, so your words, this is important you hear this, your words of confession confirm or cancel out what you're believing for. Now, I've told this for years, and it fits right here perfectly. But uh, Robbie was with me when this happened. My son, Jonathan, who is now 30 years of age, became, and, and I, he's let me tell this because I don't want to embarrass him. And he says, Dad, I don't want everybody to think I'm some kind of an addict. I said, well, son, it's your testimony, and you're gonna, I'm going to help people. So I want you to understand this. A lot of families struggle with this. We get a call from a school years ago. as a private school. It was a really good Baptist school. And the principal said, I need you to pick your son up. He's been expelled. This is his senior year. 
And I, and I said, what happened? Or my wife actually was talking, my wife told me. said, well, he had some, some drugs he bought at the pharmacy in a car, told a girl, the girl got in his glove compartment, took him, and she's passed out right now, and the ambulance is coming. And I knew if he, she died, this is serious. And I, I panicked. Man, I got all over that boy. And we didn't know it. it we really did not know, but he had been addicted to going over the counter to a pharmacy, not, not the pharmacy itself, but that stuff. And I'm not going to tell because I don't want to give kids ideas. But he got addicted to a certain kind of drug that's in cough syrup and cough medicine. And he would drink a whole bottle of cough medicine, which is enough to destroy your liver. And one night, one night, we called the kids to prayer, and he, he didn't look right. And I brought him to the side near his room. I said, son, come here. Let me, let me check your pulse. And his heart was beating 200-some beats a minute. I said, what did you do? He said, Dad, I took some pills. I said, we're going to the emergency room. And I lo I, look, I love hospitals and doctors. I respect them. But when your boy has a heartbeat and he's sitting there and you're trying to get him help, and they're talking about insurance. Talking about how much money we're going to give if we take him in. And I finally met somebody who knew me. I said, you get my boy back right there right now. I'll talk insurance I got the money, I'll pay for it. Does that not provoke you just when you hear stuff like that? And, if, and, then, and then, if, then if you're poor and don't have any, you're treated like a second-class citizen. Don't get me on my hobby horse right here. Well, they took him in, and make a long story short, he could have died on me that night. And we got to praying for him, and he was addicted to everything imaginable. He, turned, he told me, they said, Dad, I'm alcoholic, I can't break it. I, I've had him get so high and drunk, he's cussing me out. And I look at him and say, I don't want to talk to the fool in you. I want to talk to the king in you. He said, what do you, what do you mean king in me? I said, because there's a king in you that hadn't come out. He'd say, please forgive me for even implying what he said. But he'd say, F you, go to H. I said, no, I ain't going there, but you're going to end up there if you don't straighten up. And I'd say other things I don't want to say in the pulpit. And I remember how tough it was. I remember you, you, you got to be, I remember the policeman, 3.30 in the morning, 3.30 in the morning, we get a phone call and two officers are in my driveway. And I walk out there and listen, listen how crazy this is. He hits a deer with his car and calls the police and he's drunk at 17. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you hear what I said? He's drunk. But alcohol illegal some some old man would buy buy these kids six packs take two beer and give them the rest he's dog drunk hit a deer and he's standing up there like this just staring at us we didn't even know he left the house and they knew me because i'm very good friends with the police officers and the sheriff and at that right james james is a sheriff so he knows and i don't i didn't ask them for favors i said what what what's what's going to happen they said we got two things he's underage he either gets a big fine or he goes to jail and i said take him to jail and he said, he said, you, you can't do that. I said, watch me. I said, maybe when you get down there in a the jail and see what it feels like and smells like, you'll get some sense about you. But I'll never talk to you again. I said, oh, I've heard that before. Every time you need gas in your car, you'll be talking to me. Don't you give me that crap. I'm sorry for saying crap in the pulpit. I, I, I really am. I think I did that twice. Forgive me. I'm serious. That, that's just a Tennessee word. It, it's not vulgar in Tennessee. It's just a normal word. 
I don't know about South Carolina. I'm trying to teach your kids not to talk like that, okay? I'm just trying to, but please forgive me. Your kids really forgive me. But I, I was blunt with him. So, but I'm going to tell you something. If you think that's easy, huh? You think that's easy? And he said to me one time, he said, Dad, I'm embarrassing you. Everybody in this town knows you, and I'm an embarrassment because people, I said, let me tell you something. I don't give a rip what anybody in this town thinks about me. And I don't care what they think about you. You're my boy, and I love you unconditionally. And you can say what you want to me, but I ain't going to unlove you no matter how crazy you get. And I meant it. I meant it. So here's my point. I'm on point two. I'll get to point three in just a minute. But I'm on point two, and here's my point. We got to a place where it looked like he was getting better. <laughs> and then he'd, he'd sit back, and he'd... And that's how addictions are. They look like the, you know, five times. Send me to Jensen's dad. Send me down to the rehab. I'll go. And one hour later, he's changed his mind. See, sometimes you got to hit, sometimes you got to hit the pig pen. And I, I heard mama say, they sent my boy to jail. I said, they may have saved his life. And I get those, I get those letters from those boys in jails and they'll say, preacher, if I hadn't have come here, I'd have ended up dead. And they get saved because they meet chaplains. They meet young men. Some of the greatest Christians are, are the young men that's in prison right now who got their life together. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I get their letters, man. Some of the talented, artists, gifted, and, and they'll tell me, God saved my life by putting me here. They don't want to be there, but he saved their life by putting them there. So watch this. This is very important. Forgive me for doing this, but I have to tell you this. This is crazy. So one night, I went up, I went up uh, to pray for him. I said, I'll go pray for my boy. So I knock on the door, come in. And he's laying in the bed, and he's kind of, oh, he's kind of happy. I said, well, that's, that's rare. You know, he's happy for once. Hey? So I said, son, I'm going to lay right on this bed and just pray for you. He said, go ahead, Dad, go ahead. And I said, oh, that's different. That's different. So I'm praying in the Holy Ghost, and I start singing. Well, he starts singing. He can't really sing, but he starts singing. And he's like, hey, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. I said, oh, this is amazing. This is amazing. Something's happened to my boy, man, you know, and I, he, I, about 20 minutes like that, and I'm all excited, so I run downstairs to Pam. I said, Pam, get out of bed right now. What is it? Because my wife will sleep through a hurricane. <laughs> I'm telling the truth. She can sleep. I mean, you don't wake her up, and she's deaf in one ear, kind of, so when she goes, it lays on the good ear. I mean, Jesus could talk to her and not hear. She wouldn't hear him. You understand what I'm saying? Because she's laying on the good ear. I'm like, get up. What is it? You got to come upstairs. God's touched Jonathan. She said, what do you mean, God? He said, you got to hear him. He's singing. He's up there calling on Yahweh. So she goes up and she goes, oh, God, he's been smoking pot. <laughs> and she walks out. Well, I never smoked pot. So I'm saying, really? I said, Jonathan, you've been smoking dope. Well, yeah, Dad, I have. I said, oh, God, I thought you got saved, man. I mean, what's the deal here? So he'd get high, come on, he'd get high and he'd get spiritual. But you know, that's not good for him. So we're praying for this boy to get touched. And I'm telling you, it was up and down. So we go to a meeting and here's what I got to tell you. And this is for somebody here. This is going to help a mama. I promise you, this is what I'm preaching this message for, for you right now. I don't know who you are. But I remember going to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee at the Smoky Mountain Convention Center at a partners conference, and it was getting better. And I told, had told her, I said, you know, he's doing better, he's trying, he's working a job, and the, I get a call, he's in trouble. And I'm walking out the convention center, it's in the day, it's a morning service, I've never forgot it, I'm walking up the steps, and I am spouting unbelief out of my mouth toward my boy. And I made a statement, and oh God, I thought when I said it, I should never say that. And you'll remember what it was. I made a statement, and I got convicted, and I heard the Lord say, 
Don't abort your breakthrough. And I, I knew what he meant. And I mean, when I hit that room, I said, God, I cancel those words I said. I cancel them in heaven. I cancel them before Satan. I re, I re, and, and I start canceling my words, canceling my words to prayer. Now, here's what the Lord showed me. Listen to me carefully. Revelation 12 says, Satan is the accuser of the brethren before God day and night. As long as I confess the word, the enemy has no authority to use anything against me. Because the Bible said you overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. But I was out of the word and in my flesh making statements that I knew Satan could go before God and say, he don't believe what he's praying. And God was saying to me, you are making this battle long. I'm talking to somebody in this house. You're making this battle longer because one minute you say you believe me and I hear that. And the next minute you're saying unbelief and you're speaking unbelief. And I want to tell some mama that's got a boy in prison or a mama that's got a, a kid on drugs or a grandbaby on drugs. You've got to quit talking like, I don't know if they're going to make it. They might end up dead. God help us. And I kept saying to Robbie, I kept saying to Robbie, if God ever touched him if God ever helps him and it was in that room God said to me you got to take the if out he said every time you say to somebody if it happens if if you are questioning whether or not I do it you cancel everything you're praying because if means maybe I will and maybe I won't quit saying if and say when when God touches him when the power of God delivers him when he comes to Jesus and it was not a year later that I'm telling you God began to touch my son and he works for the ministry he works with me he's my right hand man somebody say glory Glory to God, God is able. <laughs> Hallelujah. So that's going to help somebody. Don't say if, say when. Everybody say, everybody scream when. When, when means it's going to happen. I don't know the time, but it's going to happen. I don't know the place, but it's going to happen. Number three, finally, giving up begins with your words and your actions. Faith without action is dead. See, people begin to know something's wrong when you start laying out of church. Oh, I got quiet in the house now. When you don't come to services, you don't come to revival, you don't come to events, you quit giving. Colossians 4.14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Philemon 1.24, Marcus, Lucas, and Demas, my fellow laborers. Last letter Paul writes before he's beheaded. 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. People drop out of the race because of offenses and arguments. They don't understand the seasons. The Bible tells us that there are times and there are seasons. Time is a set time on a timeline. Seasons are events that happen on that timeline. Please listen to me. The reason you've got to hold fast your confession of faith and the reason that you cannot not allow yourself to quit and give up is because of what I'm about to tell you. You see the beginning of the situation. God has already seen the end. Can I, can I tell you something? God is not shocked by your weakness. I won't preach to the weak people in the house. Can I find some people? I talked to a guy about a great TV preacher who in the 1988 
he was exposed for something real bad. And were you with me in the car, Robbie, when Dr. Franklin talked about this? And Dr. Franklin, who, who is a psychologist, he's Church of God, North Carolina, you may know him, Franklin Hunt. And he says to me, he says, but think about this. Before God called him to preach, he already factored in what he would do. And still called him to preach. Oh, you better hear me. I'm talking to somebody that needs to be encouraged right now if, if I can find who they are. So see, God's already seen the end. Watch, you talk seed, you're giving offering. God's already talking harvest. You're talking death, God's talking eternal life. You're talking trouble, God's talking deliverance. You're talking lack, God is talking plenty. You're talking judgment on America, God's talking mercy on America. You're talking destruction, God's talking rebuilding. You're talking fear, God's talking faith. You're talking about going under and Jesus is saying, let us go over to the other side. Hallelujah. Think about this. God sends them into captivity and warns them 150 years before they go. You'll be there 70 years and then starts telling them, but after 70 years, I'm going to bring you back. So he has a plan to bring them back at, mm, before they ever go in. He says to them, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. He turns right around five verses later and says, but I'm going to bring you back to rebuild the city. So he says, destruction's coming, but he says, rebuilding's coming. He says, I'll scatter you to the nations. And then eight verses later, Later, he says, but I will bring you back from the north and I'll bring you back from the south and I'll bring you from the east and I'll bring you from the west. He says to them, the land will lie desolate for 70 years. And then he starts saying to them by the prophets, you shall build buildings. You shall build homes. There shall be trees with fruit on them. He says to them, I have divorced you. And a few verses later, he said, but I will bring you back as your husband one day. I'm trying to say something that you need to hear. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, King James translation for I know the thoughts I think towards you says the Lord thoughts of peace and not of evil here it is to give you an expected end you know the Bible says concerning Job you've seen the patience of Job how God is full of mercy and he's full of grace and how he reversed the, the decision of Job I want to tell somebody something that needs to hear this right now and that is that God has already figured out the mess before you got in it God has already figured how it's going to overcome before you ever got in it before you ever got in trouble the first time God had a way the Bible says he will make a way of escape that you might be able I wish somebody that's been through some hell would help me praise God for a little bit of heaven he gives you some he mm -hmm. he'll give you some heaven in the midst of your hell Woo hallelujah I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost of God mm. Two more things and one story and I'm done. The Lord spoke to me several years ago because I remember going to the churches I used to go to as a young evangelist for years. I'd go to some and they were ready. I'd go to some, they weren't even ready. They didn't even care. And I'd get so upset. And the Lord gave me this word. I wrote it in the back of, the, of an old Dakes Bible that I still have. Galatians 6, 8 through 9. For he that sowed to the flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall reap of the spirit everlasting life. Let us not be weary. Here's the verse. This is for somebody here. Let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season. Here it is. We shall reap if we faint not. There's a condition. Don't faint. Don't quit. Don't give up. There will always be off seasons when you cannot feel the presence of the Lord and you're going to have to walk by faith. When all you're doing is sowing a seed and not seeing a harvest. 
you're tithing and you haven't seen anything. But it doesn't mean it's seed, time, and harvest. We want seed and harvest. Look at all the farmers around here. It takes about five months to get the soil ready, plant the seed, and get the harvest. But you get enough rain of the Holy Spirit and enough light of the gospel going on, you're going to get a harvest. It's a guarantee. You're doing everything to love people who won't, are not lovable. You're doing everything to win your kids who don't want to listen. But somebody say, in due season. Just like God gave me that word in Galatians 6, and I put it in the back of my Bible, and everywhere I preached, when, I, when it just wasn't going like I thought it should, I'd go back there, but in due season. And I'd hit a bad revival, nobody wanted nothing. And I'd hit one that would go four weeks. And I'd hit another one that was dead, and I'd hit one that went two weeks. And I'd hit one that was dead, and I'd hit one that went eight weeks. Come on, somebody. I went to one town and went 11 weeks every night. Add that up on how long that is and how many services that is. We had 500 saved, 600 filled with the Holy Ghost. And the ba this is a true story, but it's a very conservative town. And the Baptist preachers got some mad. All their members getting the Holy Ghost. They went to the judge of the court to try to run me out of town. <laughs> and what they did, they didn't realize the judge of the court happened to be the brother-in-law to my board member. And so uh, these preachers were there and they said, you know, we think that he's, he's like a cult leader. He's, they're trying to say all this crazy stuff about me, all these people, kids getting saved. And the judge said, let me tell you what you boys need to do. He called them boys. He said, you boys need to go to that revival and get saved. <laughs> he said, how can you bless somebody that's got drug addicts getting saved in a revival, man? <laughs> it was funny. It was funny. But the, we, we also had about 500 Baptist people got the Holy Ghost too. So that's, that's why I can understand. That's why they were a little upset perhaps. Going to close with this. Going to close with this. Sometimes what you need, sometimes all you need is just for God to give you a word. And hopefully you got that. And something that quickens you that you can hang on to. This is a true story. And it's one of my favorite stories to tell, tell, and I've been telling it for a long time. In Hamilton, Alabama, at the Princeton Pike Church of God, there was a group of singers called the Shouting Sounds. And it, now, now, I have to tell you this because, well, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say I teased them a little bit. But anyway, they could sing the house. They, you, you three of them, they take mics and the glory hit. People be running. Anybody, anybody been in those services? Running, shouting, praising God. He gives me a cassette tape. Now, I'm dating myself. <laughs> These kids are saying, what's a cassette? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Boy, makes you feel ancient. You know you're getting old when you go to the antique store and see the toys you played with. You know what I mean? <laughs> I had that. Oh, my God, I had that. I had that G.I. Joe. I had that G.I. I'm in an antique store. Help me, Lord. Blue, blue shell cassette tape. And he says to me, he says, now Perry, listen to me. He said, this is black music, which is my favorite. I came up listening to Andre Crouch. How many know? I got confidence. I can name all of his songs. I came up at 11 listening to Flip Wilson's comedy records. How many remember Flip? The devil made me buy this dress. Listen, I memorized two of his records, and my daddy at age 11 made me go to member's house and stand and do my Flip Wilson routine. When I was a kid, I was going to be a comedian. Someone said, you still have that on you just a little bit. I don't know what happened there. But uh, Andre Crouch, now look, I, I, Stevie Wonder, I, I know all Stevie's songs. I know all his songs, they think, you know, maybe a little bit on the edge. Uh, anybody knew Billy Preston? Oh, yeah. Will it go around and sir? I, I can sing them all. But what I'm saying to you is I loved 
the black music and I had it all and I just, I just, I just absolutely, and that's why I love uh, going to the African-American churches and preaching. I have a lot of my go-to. Anyway, let's, let's get back on the subject. So he says to me, he says, you will not want to drive your car and play this because I know you. You'll pay no attention and you'll be all over the road and get pulled over. So I didn't listen to it. I got in my car and uh, we had a van and stuck it in the glove compartment. Now, this is going toward the month of December and I have one revival left for the year. And it's Wilmington, North Carolina, Billy Franklin, Jensen's Franklin's dad. And I tell you this, we were trying to get our 501c3. It was not coming through. We were having financial problems. We were, it's just everything was bad. And I did not want to be going to that revival. I literally was hoping he'd cancel it and he didn't. We're in the car. Keith Dudley, my friend, is driving. Pam is sitting in the back. This is back before there was kids and anybody. Back in the uh, early, uh, early 80s. And I'm depressed. And we're on that back road, which is a long stretch to Wilmington when you're in North Carolina. I'm on that back road. And it's getting dark. It's December. We've got our headlights on. I'm saying, look out for deer. They're going to run, you know. I was, I was just almost hoping a deer would run out and just hit us so I'd go home. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, it, it was bad. When, when, it gets, when I get like that, it's bad. Then I remembered the cassette, and I noticed that he didn't have it at the beginning. He had it right in the middle on side one to a song. So I thought, well, that's odd. I have never played this. I said, Keith, put this cassette, and that's when we had players in the car. Put this in the car. And all of a sudden, I hear this. And, you know, y'all know in a black church, they can milk a song. I mean, if they ain't got verses, you're going to get five more verses out of that. Am I telling the truth? Oh, no, you're going to milk a song. No, we got lemon juice still left in that song. Sing. And the first time I heard it, first time I heard it, it was a man saying, I got a feeling everything's going to be all right. Oh, y'all know it. Okay. I never heard it. And I went, whoa. I said, where'd that come from? So then he gets into, well, now, now this is black church. My mama told me, my auntie told me, my grandma told me, the Bible told me, Holy Ghost. He went through anybody that could tell him it's going to be all right. He might have even said, my doggy told me everything. I don't know what, he, he, anybody that said it could be all right, he had him down. But I'm going to tell God Almighty, I still feel it to this day. But when he got to that part that said, well, the Holy Ghost done told me, the power of God hit me from the top of my head, went all the way into my feet, and I was kicking the floorboards, shaking like a fish that was out of water. They started laughing at me. I said, rewind it again. And I'm shaking in the Holy Ghost. Rewind. I played that thing for probably an hour and a half all the way to Wilmington. And when I jumped out of the car, I jumped out saying, where is that devil? I'll take his two heads and crack his skull together. Gonna feel the Holy Ghost. And we had a crazy revival in a place that we didn't think we could have one. And God showed up. We started out with 80 people, ended up with 700 people on Sunday night power of God hitting the place people repenting and turning to God are you hearing what I'm saying sometimes you just need God to tell you everything is going to be all right sometimes you need the Holy Ghost to come on you and tell you don't worry about it everything's put your hands together and praise God in the house please somebody
I said hallelujah. Now, I do not know. I, I always have an altar call. I just believe in it. But listen carefully. We got to do this right now. There's such an unction. But if you have felt like you have been overwhelmed and you have felt like just giving up and quitting, I know there's someone. It may, I don't, if it's one person, it's worth the message. But you've, had a, you've, had, you've been through some stuff and you said, Lord, if God, had, if God doesn't help me, I don't know what I'm going to do. If he doesn't help and strengthen me, I don't know where you're at. Get out of your seat. Come to the front. In fact, get an altar team down here, my friend. If you will get an altar team ready to minister, praise God. And, uh, and yes, and yes. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. And who else is coming? And, and over here on this side and, and if we'll get some teams on either side thank you for having a good prayer team here by the way oh thank you Lord, thank you Father thank you Father, thank you Father in the name of Jesus, we bless you Lord, now this message was not for everybody, I understand that but you need to remember this message because you're going to need this at some time, you might not need it now or a year from now but there'll be a day you're going to have to go back and say I need to get that message, I need to pull that thought out, those notes out or whatever that, that, that he preached that because I need to hear that again. All right, is everybody down here yet? We still have people coming. Come and just stand on the left side or the right side. We're getting ready to pray. Now, this is Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope that you were inspired to live a life of purpose for Jesus Christ. For more information, check out our website at BethesdaCOG.org. God bless.